Hey, Teresa, can you pass the introduction? Yes, but only if you get your elbows off the podcast. It's Table Manners. Which Manners? Welcome to another episode of Schmanners. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Schmanners is your guide to extraordinary etiquette for ordinary occasions. Hello, Teresa. Hi, Travis. I, I want to say we're recording this before we actually launch, but I'm going to go ahead and say thank you to everyone for all the warm uh, regards and the awesome reception we got for episode one. We have gotten so many likes, mentions. I don't know. What do they call those on the interwebs? Don't act like you've never been on the internet before. <laughs> You're on the internet. All, what, what is it? Favorites? I don't know. Whatever. Well, they are different on different platforms. People like us. People do like seems. us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And and that's without even putting up a full episode yet. So uh, we appreciate everyone. So this uh, this topic is very near and dear to my heart. I will say that going along with the theme of Teresa making me a far better man, this is, um, I would say, probably the one where I had the most room for improvement. And I would say that the reason that you had so much improvement is you really just hadn't thought about it before. Um a lot of these things are no longer really taught to anyone, even though I know this story. You did go to Cotillion, didn't you? I did go you? to Cotillion, and I, would, I did not do great. Like, <laughs> I remember the memory I have, I think I was in sixth grade, is sitting down in, like, a rented little kid's tux, which I was adorable. I had a huge head. I looked like a, like a uh, Tootsie Roll pop. Um, I bet you looked like a little popsicle. I did. Um, and I think by the end of dinner, me and Chilton Wise and Jamie Sullivan and Mandy whose last name I can't remember. Um, she was my date. <laughs> She's the one I can't remember. <laughs> We're just like playing with green beans and fake leaves on the table and like playing with our food, like toddlers. Oh, In tuxes boy. and fancy dresses. Oh, boy. I would not want to be that teacher. I'm better now, though. I don't play with wet green beans on my table no more. Right. And you're better now because you think about it now. And I think that that is probably the the common thread throughout a lot of these these manner behaviors is it's about consideration and thinking about what you're doing instead of just you know relying on your kind of caveman id gotta eat gotta do this well and it's not surprising if you think about the fact that like a formal dining room a sit-down dinner is a little bit you know, a little bit gone with the wind at this point because I just think about how much from like 18 to 25, I wasn't like sitting down to dinner with anyone, you know? I was like running to my dorm, you know, to the commons, grabbing a turkey wrap and watching TV while I ate in the common room. You know what well, I mean? Well, but didn't you go out to dinner? I mean, in a less formal way, maybe go out to have pizza with your friends, go out to the bar. Definitely, but we were probably drunk by that point. <laughs> it is It is a lot harder to mind your P's and Q's while you're drunk. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> Take it from me, folks. It's harder to think of P's and Q's. And you know what? We're going to cover that. We'll go through we and are. talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, great. But I will say that it, there is a thing, like, especially once you enter into a relationship with someone and dinner becomes a much more communal experience. And, you know, I started to leave my early 20s and it stopped being about, like, just getting food and then sitting back down at the computer. And instead, we were sitting down to dinner and, like, communicating with each other over a shared meal, it became a much bigger um, part of our lives. And that's when I realized I don't like it when people watch me eat. Now, what is it, Travis, that you do when I look at you while you're eating? What's I, that thing? I have a tendency, much like a wild animal, that when observed while eating, I will freeze. <laughs> I don't I don't like it when people watch me eat. It's been described as like a dog who's afraid someone's about to take away their food. And I think it's way better now. It you is. It is way better now. And I would say that you probably don't play that game really with anyone but me anymore. Well, now it's just funny. It is. It now is it's funny. no longer a defense mechanism. I'm just trying to make you laugh. Yes. Yes. So let's get into it. Let's stop talking about my weird eating behaviors or former former eating behaviors because you've fixed me and it let's instead talk about some table manners let's talk about some ancient weird 
Oh, eating please, behaviors. please tell me about the history of this. Well, so um, I'm going to talk most specifically about utensils at the table. Which is a huge part. We had a lot really, of questions about that. Really, a lot of questions about that. Okay, so let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, knife-like tools have been dated as far back as 2.5 million years ago. Okay, so knife-like tools like shards of rock and bone and obsidian. And- exactly, right. Things for tearing meat apart um, and, and distributing it. Not quite like precision tools. No, okay. no. Well, uh, then again, I have heard before that obsidian can get pretty damn razor sharp. So. Yeah, I mean, you got to tear the flesh around, but people, you got to. <laughs> you got to. In this to. day and age, you got to tear the flesh. So instead of people like all just kind of taking bites from the same thing, people started divvying the food out and portioning it accordingly. Which makes a lot of sense because if you think about it, like say you took down like I don't know a mastodon, you couldn't eat that all at once. You got to cut off sections to cook it. That's right. That's right. I mean, I don't I don't know when cooking started. That's a different show. Different show. The utensil as we know it, uh, the very first metal spoon has been dated back to around five thousand BC. Um, just because I think that it was probably you know for. Uh, slurping maybe water or gruel or or something like that. It definitely seems like a very necessary tool if you start thinking, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me because you've got knife covered with like shards of bone and rock and everything. Mm -hmm. But if you want to get like water out of a jar or you want like, you need some kind of utensil. And I think you could probably draw, I'm not an anthropologist, folks. This might surprise (laughs) you, but I could see them drawing a very quick line between like, oh, a bowl, I scooped that out. What if I had a tiny bowl with a handle on it? Great. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And then metal knives, as we know them, about 2000 BC. Now, that surprises me because it took them 3000 years to go from, <laughs> wait, we have this metal scoop thing. We could just, just make the bone thing that. that, that why did it take them 3000 years to make that jump? Maybe. My bet is that there were probably metal. Um, and if there is an anthropologist listening, please tell us, like, probably that there were metal, like, Hunting, you know, war, knives, weapons, long before that. Right, right. I'm talking like the actual knife on the table. I'm betting that when they say as we know it, it resembled something like what we have today. Gotcha. A smaller implement for cutting one bite at a time. And when did my favorite utensil come around? The hardest working utensil? Ladies and gentlemen, the fork. The two-pronged fork? 800 A.D. Wow, really? Yeah, there's such a long time in between there. I guess people just used their hands. Um, the two-prong fork was the first one to break out on the scene. I love the fork. I want everyone, I'm not afraid who knows it. I'm a big fan of the fork. So that two-pronged fork was really only used for like spearing and carving mm-hmm. and holding on to something. Whereas the fork for scooping with the three tines didn't really come out until... Uh, the Renaissance period. Okay. Yeah, mostly people just used either their spoon or like a piece of bread to kind of like shovel it. Gotcha. Right. And some parts of the world today, they still just kind of use like bread or your hands. Like it's non. not really necessary. Anything you can spear with a fork, you can also scoop with a spoon, you know, historically speaking. What about, I saw this once on a weird fact show, the knife that has a divot down the middle for scooping peas onto. When did that come around? Uh, that specifically, I'm not quite sure That's about. That's a real thing. It's a very specific unitasker, and I don't know why it exists, but it's just to put peas onto a knife. Look it up, folks. It's real. I it's bet, one of the few things I know about. I bet that was one of those things when they were laying out six or seven different utensils for each course. And then uh, they had to bring that pea knife out for you to eat your green mushy peas. I guess. Well, we had a question about that um, on Facebook. Jacob asked, why is there so much gosh darn silverware and what is it all for? Well, uh, Jacob, the thing is, the silverware was really tailored to the specific food and the course during the meal. It used to be a way bigger production. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's this TV show, this TV called... A show called Downton Abbey. Anybody? Oh, I was going to say Super Sizers Go. 
Well, I think that probably Downton Abbey is a little more mainstream than Supersizers go, especially here in the United States. Um, but if anyone has ever noticed how when they have their big banquet scenes, there's like four or five footmen like lining the walls and they bring around the dishes and you serve the dish and then they clear the with clear away the dishes and in all of that kind of hoopla and rigmarole, they developed roles for each specific type of utensil. And I'm not saying that during the, you know, Edwardian and um, Victorian times, that's when they decided to do that. I'm just saying that over time, more and more utensils were added, depending upon what you were eating and what your status was in society. And it also, it used to be back then that it was a lot more of like a test, you know, like, it mattered a lot more that you knew what you were doing then than it does now. Even if right now you go to a dinner party and you're like, I don't know what to imagine back then where it's like, oh, he picked up the wrong fork. He's cast out of society now. <laughs> that might be a little over the top, but that's what I picked up from TV shows and movies that it was like, oh, he reused his salad fork. He's dead to us. Certainly. Certainly in times past, that may have been the difference between you uh bagging a wife or not i feel like there's a general rule and i can't remember if it's you work from the inside out or the outside in with like so like if a course is brought you start i think it's outside in right? yes you start at the outside so you would use the utensils and we had another question somewhere about asking i feel like it's really easy you used to be paired at dinner parties it used to be like we're gonna put this person next to this person this person across from this person and it was like choosing seating arrangements at weddings right name cards and seating arrangements and there were always um there were kind of like unspoken rules where like you couldn't sit directly next to your husband you had to be seated across the table well but it it no 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 i mean i mean sitting next to your husband it's like i could see your face all day at home (laughs) we're going out to like hang out with other people please don't sit next to me george you weren't able to sit next to your husband or your wife because it didn't aid in conversation and i think isn't there a great joke about that in importance of being earnest where it's like he spent the whole or she spent the whole time flirting with her own husband it was disgusting (laughs) it's something along those lines right but back to silverware i want to give you a couple of touchstones so um in the renaissance period when you went to a, a tavern or a pub or even to a friend's house there weren't like sets of silverware you brought your own with you really yeah you were responsible for having you know your knife and your fork on your person oh man i wish that were still true so everybody could have like personalized so it's like i pull mine out and on the end is a phoenix like that would be so much cooler Probably was fun, but then people's disposable income raised, especially there became a sort of merchant class or a middle class. And so uh, you showed your wealth by having these things already at your home. It makes sense, too, if you think about that there used to be way more of like, um, you know, smiths, like silversmiths and that kind of thing, where it's like you would go and be like, I need a set of personalized forks, please. (laughs) Man, I wish that was still a thing. That'd be so much cooler. Let me ask you this question, Teresa, regarding Mm -hmm. silverware. Why? Why were there different utensils for each course? Well, because different food required different things. And the more food that you gave to your guests at the table, the richer you seemed. I gotcha. So it was a little bit showing off to be like, here's your 16 utensils. What's in store for you? Exactly. And you wouldn't exactly have 16 things on the table because I mentioned about the servants coming in and out and delivering things. The general rule is about four on each side. Mm -hmm. Although in, you know, my different sources, I seem that depending upon the the time period, there may have been more or less allowed on the table. I feel like the version I see most often of that nowadays when I go to a, a, some kind of fancy dinner thing is that you have, um, you know, maybe a butter knife, a steak knife, um, or some kind of like if there's a meat dish, something to cut with. And then you've got, um, you know, your spoon and then a regular fork and then like a salad fork. Right. I'd say that that's probably general in fine dining establishments. So if you see a small fork, that's your salad fork, right? The small fork is for like detail work. Yeah. I know we didn't get a direct question about this, but in my experience, there was always some confusion for me between American style and continental style dining. If I were to say, what is the continental style? What do you think that means? 
Oh, well, I'm cheating because you told me before. I'll tell you what it is. With what is con- it? Continental style is your fork never moves, right? Like it stays in your left hand. Right. And you cut with your right. You cut and eat, cut and eat. Correct. And the thing that was so confusing for me is I always think of the continent like the Americas, right? Where like you are, you know, the, one of the colonies, right? But that's the difference. I think what you hit on right there is the difference. Yes. That Europe is the continent. No. No. Damn it. <laughs> so what happened uh, at, at, at that particular point in history, the American colonists were used to eating by switching, which everyone used to do. You would cut with your right and hold your meat or whatever with your fork. Then you would put your knife down. Switch your hands uh-huh. so that you had the fork in your right hand and nothing in your left hand. Okay. Because you generally ate in all times with your right hand. That was the clean hand instead of the left hand where you wiped your bum. Gotcha. Um, and the colonists did this. This is what they were used because to. Because everyone was doing that. Exactly. The British weren't cool with it. They wanted to be different. They didn't want to be uh, associated with this rougher American crowd. So that is when they started doing fork in the left hand, knife in the right hand, always, never switching. Can I be honest with you? Can I tell you a secret? What? I prefer I prefer the British way. I'm sure that you do, um, but that's not really how our manners developed. Yeah, but I'm I, for me, there's something about the keeping your fork and your uh, knife in single hands that kind of slows you down. Um, Because this is the thing that's like, I feel like I've been heard a lot of different opinions on like, say you're sitting down for steak, right? Mm -hmm. How much do you cut ahead of time and then switch your fork hand and then eat the pieces and then switch back and cut some and with... Travis, the answer is one one piece at a That's time. That's so grueling if you have to keep switching hands. It makes so much more sense to just keep them in the same hand if that's well, what you're Well, if doing. I may, Travis, if I may, the idea of formal dining, dining with someone, isn't really about the food all the time. So getting the food in your gob isn't really what these utensils ended up being for. I'm sure at first, like we talked about, people needed these utensils in order to eat the food and not be... And not just shovel their food in their face with their hands. Mm-hmm. Certainly, that's what they needed. But then all of these developments with the utensils were more about conversing and showing status and really anything other than eating, even though some utensils were developed for specific dishes. I guarantee you back in the day, there were people leaving dinner parties and being like, I'm starving. <laughs> Are you, you know, You know what I mean, everybody? Like, we just had like a 17-course meal. I am so hungry. <laughs> I feel like I didn't eat anything. It may have happened. It may have happened. Uh, and especially with corsets. There was oh, probably a lot yeah. of like, oh, I had one bite of bread and now I can't breathe. Well, haven't you seen that scene in Gone with the Wind where they make Scarlet eat before she goes to a picnic where she's going to eat? Because she eats and then they put her in her corset and you can't eat anything else. So she was going to faint if she didn't eat anything before she went to go eat. Bummer. Yeah, Totally. So, okay, so I feel like that covers utensils and that kind of thing. But, like, that's great. But we talked a little bit about seating and that kind of thing. Tell me more about the table. Tell me more about the actual arrangement of everything. Okay, well, let's start simple with an informal place setting. Okay, informal like what? Give me an example. Uh, A three-course dinner. Like you would, like I would make at home. Okay, great. Well, not that I make things in courses. I usually put them all on the same plate, but I digress. You know what we mean, folks. <laughs> Vegetable, meat, bread. Uh, starch, you know, some sort of thing like that. Let's start with the dinner plate. Okay. That's easy, right? Dinner plate in front of the chair. Where are you going to sit? Yeah, that makes right? that makes sense. Why would it be somewhere else? It, it wouldn't. Your dinner plate across the table. You got to find it. Follow these riddles three. All right. Next, two forks to the left of the plate. Okay, gotcha. Right, yes, two forks. Dinner fork on the inside, salad fork on the outside. Because your salad comes out first and you work from the outside in, yes? Yes. 
because, that makes sense because you want your forks on your left because you're starting with your forks on your left hand, you're cutting with your right, and you're either switching or you're cubing in one place. So if you think it makes total sense to me right now, the way you describe it, you want your fork on your left hand side. Exactly. Um, and then there would be a napkin that you can either place to the left of the forks or underneath the forks. Okay. But not on the plate. Because I've seen that in like for- super formal like dinners where they folded it to look like a little elephant or something. Um, I would say that if it's part of the decoration, sure, why not on the plate? You're going to move it. Yeah. Move it. Please move, move it, it, folks. Please move it. Don't put your peas on top of your Don't napkin. Don't put your peas on your napkin. We're adults here, folks. It's 2016. Don't put your peas on your napkin. Okay. So that's it for the left side gotcha. informal. Next on the right side, closest to the plate, is the knife. Gotcha. And I, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm remembering this from Cotillion. Maybe this is not a real thing, but what I was told, you want the curve of the blade, the sharp side of the blade, towards the plate? Exactly. Yeah. You from wanna, downtown. <laughs> swish. You want to face that towards you. It's uh, rude and offensive to place it to the the next person. Um, in ancient times, it might have meant that you... It was a thing. Yeah, There's it was always a thing. that thing with knives and open handshakes or whatever. Right, Don't worry exactly. About it, folks. Exactly. Um, and so where does your like drink go? Is I'm going to get to that. Okay, I'm going to okay, get to that. Okay. Next is spoon. Spoon goes to the right of the knife, so on the outside there. And is that like if like their soup or just in general, it always goes knife, spoon? That in general, it always goes knife, spoon. Gotcha. And you may have several spoons. You don't often have several knives. Knives are usually cleared with the course that's taken away. Gotcha. Um, you don't really need like a salad knife. Right. That you can use weird. that knife. Uh, if you need a knife for another course... Generally, that the knife you were using is placed on your plate and cleared, and then the next knife comes with the next course. Because when I think of knives, especially in modern day, it's like I think of like a butter knife, but this was probably a little bit more of like steak knife, and then there was a butter knife specifically if there was a bread course, right? Okay, so there is a difference between a dinner knife and a butter knife. Um, even though all dinner knives these days are rounded at the edge, and you guys can thank Louis the Fourteenth for that. He was constantly stabbing himself in the face. Uh, no, he didn't want anybody to stab anybody else at oh, court. Oh, okay. Was so, that happening a lot? Yeah. Oh, old-timey dudes. You're just having dinner. You're having a cheeseburger. Don't stab nobody. So in 1669, he ordered all knives to be ground down to a point at the dinner table. Unless, okay. Unless it was brought out with a specific course. But it's still... Like, what's the, so a rounded, so what's the difference between the butter knife and the dinner knife? Well, the dinner knife is longer, um, and the butter knife is much shorter, and sometimes has a kind of squarish tip at the end to kind of slice through the butter a little easier. Gotcha. Yeah. And then you asked about glasses. So the drinking glass is placed above the knife and spoon, um, and depending upon how many glasses you're using at dinner, it can either go slightly on the right of the knife or directly above the knife. Okay, so like if you have like a water goblet and also a wine glass. Correct. So the water goblet goes in closer to the knife and then the wine glass will go on the outside. Okay, great. So that's like the informal. What's like a slightly more formal version of this? Slightly more formal would be an addition of a salad plate, which can be placed directly to the left of the fork. So we're kind of like spreading out a little bit here. So the more courses you have, the more kind of like bigger table set you need um oftentimes in restaurants these days it's placed directly on top of the dinner plate um which if that's what they're doing leave it there but if if you are setting your own table you can put it to the left now let me ask you a question just uh for my own edification uh maybe some people listening don't know what a charger is what's a charger Teresa? a charger is a decorative plate um, that you don't eat off of. <laughs> okay. So what do you do with that? So with a charger, also called a service plate, um, it's like an under plate for the first course. So like the appetizer or the salad. Uh-huh. But traditionally, if you're um, serving in courses, once those dishes are through, you remove the charger or the service plate and put the dinner plate down. Gotcha. Let's go quickly through the other things that you would add to this informal setting, such as a a bread and butter plate with a butter knife. Okay. That goes above the fork. Um, 
you can add in a dessert spoon and fork, which go on the inside of your other spoons and forks. Because you work from the outside in. Exactly. Um, and then you could add your coffee, your teacup, and saucer. You can put that on the on the table setting before the course, but usually everything is cleared away, and that is given with the dessert course. Gotcha. Salt and pepper and condiments. Um, you can put those on the table, usually in small dishes. Gotcha. And then butter and olive oil can be served on uh, communal plates or individual plates, depending on how much room you have at the table. So is there like a super formal version? Oh, always. Okay. You add more and more and more and more, and they generally go in the same sorts of spots. You can have oyster forks. You can have dessert forks. You can have soup spoons. You can have iced tea spoons. You can have dessert spoons. I would say that in general, they all kind of go on their respective sides, except for dessert fork and spoon, which can be placed directly above the plate. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so it seems to me like a good rule of thumb here would be if you're planning a dinner party and you want to you know, do a multi-course meal, plan the menu and then work backwards from there to determine what utensils you'll need rather than just grabbing everything in your drawer and putting it out because that could get very confusing for your guests if there are utensils out there that they don't need. Right, and overwhelming. Generally, I would say that no more than three of anything on either side. So no more than three forks, no more than three spoons, all that kind of stuff. You can just clear them as you use them and replace them. Okay, great. Um, so you've answered most of the questions that people had uh, from Twitter and Facebook already. Um, but let me ask you this one. This one's from Mike D on Twitter. Um, what are the rules for eating while standing, if any? Either sandwich at ball game or cuts and plates at an office birthday party. Thanks. Um, well, rules for standing are um, really de- determined by whatever food you're being served. If it's uh, an appetizer sort of thing, what'll normally happen is people with trays or if it's served buffet style, you will have a small plate that can be held in the palm of one hand and you'll have a napkin handed to you or you'll pick up a napkin and you'll place that in your other hand for kind of wiping your fingers as you use these finger foods off the plate. Gotcha. Um, And then if it's something that requires a small fork, I would say that still you need to make sure that you can balance that plate on your hand and eat with the fork, replacing the fork underneath that plate in your hand so that it doesn't fall off. Gotcha. And let me, uh, this is a little Travis McElroy insert here, something I've learned over my 32 years. If there's like a buffet table or there is something like that at a party where it's like, you know, you get a tiny plate, don't fill your plate. Like you're afraid everyone behind you is going to eat all the rest of the food and you'll never eat again. It's not a good look. Nobody appreciates it. No one's ever going to look at you taking all the pork slider sandwiches and think, there's a smart guy. I like him. (laughs) Everyone's going to say, why did he take all the pork slider sandwiches? He can barely hold the plate without dropping it. Right. And these days they have some really great things that I know... um, People use at wine tastings and parties where like you can put there's like a little hole in the plate and you can put your little wine glass in there so you can actually eat and hold your wine glass and all this kind of stuff. Um, But in general, you would do food and and drink separately if you needed to hold everything. We're going to talk more about this um, and be back to tell you more about hosting a dinner. But first, here's a word from another Max Bunchen. Hi, everybody. I'm Justin McElroy. And I'm Dr. Sydney McElroy. Every Tuesday, we bring you Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine, a show about all the dumb, weird, terrible ways that we've tried to fix each other over the years. You know, some light summer listening. Maybe you want to hear about yogurt enemas or why we tried to eat mummies for a while or why drinking cholera diarrhea sounded like a good idea. That and so much more is waiting for you every Tuesday right here on the Maximum Fun Network with Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. Okay, now, Teresa, you were going to tell us about, like, your host, how to host, host duties, hosting, host? <laughs> yes, yes, Travis, yes, all those. What am host? <laughs> well, generally, these days, being a host just means kind of 
having everyone to your house where as it where in the past it used to mean a whole lot more um you could host a party at a restaurant you could host the party at your at your house or um and you you had a lot more responsibilities than you do now so i'd like to go over some of the the lesser known duties um one of which is the host is supposed to invite everyone to be seated where you're not supposed to sit until the host says so. Same thing with leaving the table. Uh, In days gone by, you would have to communicate to the host if you were allowed to be excused to leave the table and they got to tell you who could leave and who could stay. Uh, That was a question from Steph. Why do you have to ask to leave the table? And that makes sense to me as far as why that it's custom. And I think probably... The reason why it became custom was because when they were a lot more elaborately planned, it was like, okay, but like the other 26 people here are not ready to move into the drawing room to have brandy and cigars. So like you can't just go in there by yourself. So like, please don't just like get up from the table and ruin my party. You jerk. Exactly. And the host had so many more duties. Um, We were talking earlier about sitting husband and wife uh, across the table instead of next to to each other. And that's because the host decided which way the conversation was going to go. Uh, Is that why it was like the head of the table? So you could kind of see everything. Exactly. So if the host or hostess, usually the hostess was in charge of this sort of thing, um, turned her head, to the right that meant that everyone was to turn their head to the person to the right to speak so the host would dictate how the conversation would go she turned her head to the right then you would speak to that person in pairs and it was called the turn where later on in the dinner when she turned her head to the left that you could switch partners you were not supposed to turn Without the host turning, that way nobody got left out of the conversation. Oh, man. Wouldn't you be embarrassed if you missed the turn and, like, your partner that you were talking to saw the turn and was, like, suddenly you're just talking to the back of their head and, like, oh, I guess. And then you looked around and was like, oh, uh, oh, and then you were kicked out of society. I don't think that would happen. I Hopefully your dinner mates, Travis, would be nice enough to include you in on the turn. You think, but, like, Lady Brackersham, <laughs> she was not cool. She didn't like, if she didn't like you, you knew about it. Um, So I mentioned earlier someone asking about asking about uh points of etiquette um at pizza unofficial asked if you're confused about a point of etiquette how appropriate is it to ask who should you be asking there are so many references online that i think that uh, if you did a little bit of research you'd be able to get a general idea but um if you were to ask your host you would need to ask them in a private conversation instead of in front of everyone at the dinner table asking what you're supposed to do um if you're confused before you go to someone's house you're you know just ask them what they want you to do before you get there and and i would bet that most normal layman people are not running into oh my god you picked up the wrong fork you've embarrassed yourself in front of the queen that's probably not happening that much and i if movies give me any indication if you're confused you should ask the kindly elderly gentleman next to you and he'll be like oh <laughs> don't pick up that fork and you guys will have a good laugh and then it turns out he's actually the duke Something like that. That's so, what usually happens in, in movies. general. Yeah, I think he's usually the Duke. I think Pretty Woman went a little differently, but I've I, never seen it. Was he the Duke? I'm sorry. What? I've never seen it. I'm sorry. What? I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Please excuse Travis and I while we got go watch Pretty Woman. Okay, we're gonna pause the podcast. <laughs> oh my god, it was so good. We just finished it. It was great. I love when they snap the jewelry box. So, um, in addition to hosting the conversation and telling people when they can and cannot leave the table, the hostess was in charge of starting the service uh-huh. of the of the meal. Um, generally, if, if you were serving family style, you would take the dish, offer the dish to your left, and then pass to the right. Gotcha. And really, it doesn't quite matter how you pass it as long as there's no, like, traffic jams. I do like that move, though, because it's kind of like the last shall be first kind of move, where it's like, hey, person on my left, this is going to get to you last. Do you want some before it has to go all the way around the table? Right, but no one would start eating until the host started eating. So she would pass up a, say, let's say the bread. You would offer your bread to the left, serve yourself, 
pass it to the right, and then everyone would fill up their plate and wait. Because the hostess would be passing all of these different dishes or in um, more formal settings like we saw when we talked about Downton Abbey, um, a servant would offer it between people going as he, down as the table. As he buttled around the table. Exactly. Buttle that, that dish around the table. Um, and no one touched their food until the hostess did. Which, in general, I will say is, is not a bad holdover. I think there's something about that. There's probably questions we'll deal with that later about how that still applies to the modern day. But I do feel like there's just something inherently rude about eating your food before anyone else has their food. Like, you know, it just I feel like it takes away from the communal experience. Just like anything, there are exceptions and we'll cover those. (laughs) Great. We'll get to them. Um, So this is a little bit more towards the informal side because I doubt they dealt with this on Downton Abbey. But Megan asked on Facebook if if you make dinner, should someone else clean the dishes? Hmm, you're going to have to work that out with right? the people with you. Yeah, that you. seems like a very specific... I will say that in our house, if you make dinner, you clean the dishes. Right, because when one of us dirties every dish in the kitchen, Which I don't want to have to be responsible for cleaning them I'm all. not very good at conserving dishes. I'll <laughs> use a separate plate for everything. I don't like when I'm prepping for stuff to touch. And you know what? I'm not embarrassed. I don't care who knows it. I will use every plate in the kitchen. So that's one of those things that you want to kind of work out beforehand because nobody wants a fight at the end of the table. I feel like my personal advice is that doing your own dishes makes a lot of sense so you don't have to deal with that. Like, why did you use this measuring cup? Like, you just do it. Anyways, that's my personal... But I I mean, I know friends who one person almost always does the cooking instead of trading off and on. Um, And so... They have offered, if the, their significant other is always doing the, ki- the cooking, to always do the cleaning. And that's how you, d- you know, do your division of labor the way that suits you. I will say, if you are a guest at someone's home and it's like an informal thing where it's like a one-on-one, like your best friend invited you over for dinner, it is nice to offer to help with the dishes rather than just like sit there and watch your host who made the dinner clean everything while you sit there. Like, it's nice to say like, here, let me carry my dish and rinse my dish. Oh, where does this go? That kind of thing. Exactly. And I usually offer, but I don't push it. In in our society, it's a little different from, say, like... Um, as Griffin McElroy is fond of saying, the Japanese style, where the social norm is to ask and refuse and ask and refuse. In our society, basically, if someone says, no, I've got it, they pretty much mean it. Gotcha. So that's a lot about like being the host. What if you're like just the diner? What if you're just the person there? How does that change? And how does it change if you're at someone's home or you mentioned like hosting something at a restaurant? Like, how does it change? How does you, how, what are your duties as the guest? Your duty as the guest is to duty. Be, <laughs> Travis is to be gracious and consider the host's feelings. So, for example, if there's something on the table that you don't really like, you don't really eat, and it's being served family style, um, in general, you're supposed to take about a spoonful and put it on your plate, even if you're not going to eat it. That makes sense to me. Uh, it's called the no thank you portion. Huh. Yeah. I like when things have names. <laughs> that's that's absolutely, I like when somebody took the time to coin a phrase to be like, this is called the no thank you portion. It also says to me, I think that there's, uh, it, it, that makes a lot of sense to me because I feel like there's a big difference between refusing outright mm-hmm. versus like, I will try a bite of this or I will, you know, metaphorically try a bite of this. Right. And there's a difference if you're if you're allergic to something. Please don't eat something if you're allergic Please to it. Please don't put that on your plate. If you are allergic to something, you are welcome to skip it. But it is a point of fact that you should let your host know so that the next time they don't serve that again. Now, does that include being like vegan or vegetarian? Um, those sort of dietary restrictions that are more often voluntary, you should communicate beforehand with an invitation that you respond to or someone who, who you're getting to know and would know you, you should let them know ahead of time so that they can prepare foods that you can eat. I will say that, uh, in this day and age, as we, as, especially like when we moved to Los Angeles, we were making new friends. That when we invite people over for dinner, it is a it is like 
what time can you come is question number one. And question number two is, do you have any dietary restrictions? Exactly. Because as a host, I want people to eat the food I make. And if someone has a restriction that they haven't told me about, I feel really bad. I don't want that person to go hungry. In fact, as a diner, you're supposed to leave almost a half of a spoonful of whatever it is on your plate so that your host knows you've had enough to eat. Really? Yeah, that's what Emily Post says. And in general, I think that she's right. As a as a host, I would feel like everyone, if they left a little on their plate, was full. But I think that it really, in my personal opinion, I think that it really depends on your relationship with the person that you're with. Um, because if you're not full, I want you to be full. I want you to eat seconds. I want you to eat more. I want you to finish what's on your plate if that is something that we are accustomed to and I know that um, during the depression like my grandmother for instance uh, or during rationing they were taught to finish everything that's on your plate the clean plate club was much more uh, enforced during those days Um, and I'll say this when we talk about the idea of dietary restrictions um, if you are so say a friend invites you to a party and I just know this from experience from being a host and from living in the world if you are going to bring a date, right, or you're you're given a plus one and your plus one has dietary restrictions, communicate that to your host. Don't just, like, show up with your date and have your date suddenly realize, like, oh, I can't eat any of this. It's, one, makes you look real bad, makes your host look real bad, and can ruin an evening. So if you're the go-between, let your host know. Yeah, it's about being considerate. And in general, um, I would say nowadays, ignoring a lot of this older sort of etiquette just take into account and consider what's going on that evening be a little thoughtful yeah just for like five seconds Teresa, can i ask you the biggest most commonly asked question we got in preparing for this episode what is it elbows on the table Ooh. this is a thing that i know i struggle with constantly i am a big man with big elbows, <laughs> and I have uh, more than once been told that I have monkey arms. They're very long, and they tend to reach out to places. I get that. I have a real problem with elbows on the table. Why is this a thing? Why is it a problem? Should I really worry about it? So here's the deal. Remember how we talked about how um, you would put three and four forks on the table and three and four spoons, and you had different plates and different glasses and all that kind of stuff? Not a lot of room for elbows. If you put your elbows on the table, you were crowding the other diners in addition to all of your accoutrement. But does that still apply now if you've only got like a knife and fork and you're having dinner with one other person? Well, I, w- I would like you to think about when you put your elbows on the table, you're basically leaning into the table and excluding people from, from the experience. So keep your elbows off the table during the dinner. Um, my general rule is if there's food on the table, you're still eating that dinner. So don't put your elbows on the table. Especially if you're drinking. Oh, if you're drinking, it's so dangerous to have your arms just flying akimbo all over the table. Right. But once the table has been cleared or if that you're at a bar or it's one of those like tiny little cafe tables, if it is natural to you and it aids in conversation, why not? If it takes away from conversation, you probably should keep them off. Speaking of being out to dinner, how does it change if you're like out at a restaurant versus being at home? I mean, I think that when you're at home, things are a lot less formal. And when you're out at a restaurant, um, there needs to be some sort of like line that you draw to make it different. So I would say out at a restaurant, unless it is a standing table, like at a bar, keep them off. Um, I, I will say this. I've worked in the food service industry, and let me give everybody a little tip from me to you. If you're out of place with a wait staff and a service, and they come to you, and you're there, especially during a super busy time where there's like a line out the door and an hour and a half long wait, we want you to chat. We want you to be friendly and have a good time with your friends. Please take a minute to figure out what you want to eat before we come back for like a third time or a fifth time and <laughs> order your food and then take all the time you want to like eat it and have your conversation and all that. But start the conversation after you've picked what you want to eat. Now, um, as a diner, you can signal to your your host, your wait staff. I know this one. You go, wait up. No. Okay. No. 
no. Okay. I was. Talking, I missed on that one. I that was, was that about, was the opposite of a swish. I was talking about a signal to order. Um, you can close your menu. Mm-hmm. It shows that you know what you like. You're no longer perusing. And if you do need to get the attention of wait staff across the table, uh, I mean across the room, um, you may point one finger up. Lift your elbow so that your finger is at the same level as your head and wait. So no snapping, no no calling out, no waving your arms. Don't start a small signal fire. Nope, none of that, none of that. And it's just your finger at your head. And this is a a cue that probably more finer restaurants have. Um, But in general, your, your waiter is going to come to you once your menu is closed. Tell me your thoughts on burping. My thoughts on burping are if you have a condition and you must burp, you should shield it from your other diners. I think in, uh, I have a thing called dyspepsia, which basically gives me burps when I eat. Um, here's the thing, folks. There's a big difference between quietly burping behind your napkin or behind your hands and like... T-Rexing it up and like opening your <laughs> mouth and going like, Argh! like don't don't celebrate it. Don't draw attention to yourself. Like you you wouldn't like sneeze all over the table without covering your mouth. You wouldn't cough all over the table without covering your mouth. And if you can help it, you should probably leave the table, um, especially to blow your nose or to uh, if you're having a coughing fit. Please, if you're choking really choking don't leave the table get somebody to help you but if you can if you know that it's coming you should leave the table it's a little it's it's difficult for other diners to continue their conversation and you know it's kind of gross a little bit but if you have a condition um just hide it hide it as much as you can that uh, hide it behind your napkin behind your hand keep your mouth closed turn your head away from everyone um if you have to burp and you can't stop it, that's the best thing to do. If you need to burp and you can't stop it, you should excuse yourself for a minute. All right. We're running a little bit long, so I'm going to rapid fire fire some questions at you and get your opinion in like two sentences. Are you okay, ready? Okay, I'm ready. Okay. This is from Kate. In the case of communal plates of food, is it rude to take the last piece slash bite? No. If you're hungry, take it. If there are several parties interested in it, offer to share. Great. This is from Erica. What do you do if you need to spit something out? Gristle, bone, etc. Is it a bummer to leave it in your napkin? Yes, it is a bummer to leave it in your napkin because it's hidden from the person cleaning it up and it might fall on the floor or fall on them or it's gross. So discreetly remove it with your fingers and place it on the edge of your plate. This is from Corey on Twitter. Is ducking your head towards or over the plate a super rude thing? I can't seem to break myself of the habit. Super rude? Probably no, as long as you're not shoveling it into your mouth like it's going to get taken away from you. This was a problem I used to have, um, and my justification used to be I'm worried about the food like falling off the utensil. If that's the case, you're taking too big a bite. Take a smaller bite, and it's way less likely to fall off the utensil, and then you don't have to shovel it into your face. This is from Alyssa. Very, a very pertinent question to me. If no one else is ordering alcohol, is it rude to order something for yourself? For example, a mimosa at brunch or a beer at dinner? Um, this is kind of a loaded question. I would say, is it rude for you to imbibe? No, it's not. Keep it to one, though. If no one else is drinking, you don't want to be the drunk friend who gets all sloppy. Just one will be enough to satiate your need. Um, and... If you are worried about splitting checks and whatnot, um, I would say that if you if you're the only one drinking, you should offer more money for splitting the check if it's not individual. Uh, so before we wrap up, I want to give kind of I, I don't know that this is necessarily cynical so much as it's just kind of realistic view of it. I have this theory that I've developed as we were talking about this and as we've been preparing for this episode, which is we've taken a lot of the ritual out of eating we've taken a lot of the performance out of eating and when we talk about stuff like shoveling food into your mouth and you know how to hold utensils and which utensils there used to be so much 
more etiquette to it that we ate a lot slower and we not only were more mindful of the food we were eating because we were really present in the moment and thinking about our appearance and how it appeared to other people we were also more present in the moment of communing with other people and now i feel like it's we eat so quickly that we eat way more than we need to and we don't realize we're full till like way after the fact because we ate so quickly. Whereas back in the day when you were like mid conversation and not talking with your mouth full and all that stuff, that you were a lot more present and probably ate a lot less food. So my bet would be, and this is just a theory, but my theory is that if you're more present and you're eating more mindfully, you're way less likely to overeat and stuff yourself and you're going to run into a lot less problems for example, burping and indigestion and that kind of thing because you're not just gulping it down. I think that's a really interesting opinion and observation. And I think that it, different strokes for different strokes, but that makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know if um, correlation equals causation, but it's worth a thought. At the very least, if you're eating with someone, enjoy being in that moment with them and don't just take eating as putting fuel in your body to move on to the next thing because it can be a very nice moment that i enjoy sharing with my wife every evening oh i enjoy sharing my meals with you too dear now it's time for thank you notes we want to thank you for listening and we want to thank max fun for hosting our show we're so happy to have launched we're so happy that you're finally listening to this we're also happy that we got to launch uh, alongside still buffering hosted by sydney McRoy and riley smarl two of our favorite people in the world if you haven't checked it out yet check it out it's all about teen issues riley is the teen sydney was a teen um you know stuff that they're dealing with and stuff that maybe people of more of our generation used to deal with it's on maximumfun.org go check it out check out all the other amazing maximum fun shows they're all incredible and we're really excited to be a part of the network um thank you for telling a friend we're a brand new show we really want to get the word out and the only way for us to grow is for you to share us with friends and it's very polite to share um Thank you for going on iTunes and rating and reviewing and subscribing. It means a lot to us, helps us move up the charts and helps get us noticed by um, some new listeners. We also want to th say thank you to Kayla Wassel, who designed our amazing logo. Check her out on Twitter at Kayla M. Wassel, K-A-Y-L-A-M. W-A-S-I-L. Uh, we also want to say thank you to Brent Black for our theme music. He's a good friend of mine. He should become a good friend of yours. Go follow him on Twitter at Brentlefloss and maybe pay him to make some music for you. And I would like to send out a thank you note for everyone who asked us questions on Twitter and Facebook and emailed us. It was really great to get such a great response and we love that these groups are so active. Already. We haven't even put up an episode at this point. People are already very active. Uh, you you can tweet at us at SchmannersCast, um, or you can join our Facebook group. Just search for Schmanners, or you can email us, uh, SchmannersCast at gmail.com. And if you would like to find our Twitter account and our Facebook group and all the other McElroy shows, you can go to McElroyShows.com and find links to everything there. Um, next up, our next topic is going to be conversation and conversation etiquette. So if you have any questions, email us, tweet at us, all the things we just mentioned. So be sure to join us again next time. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners, Schmanners, get it? <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.